Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jillian Sedoti, uh, and she is a leading uh, uh, syndication attorney representing many, many clients and investors, and has, uh, has, she has represented clients in literally in billions of worth of capital. And she uh, is a leading authority in, in this space. She speaks with in a lot of conferences, uh, regular webinars. Uh, she has a book by herself. So it is a, an absolute pleasure for me to welcome her. Welcome to the show, Jillian. I appreciate you taking time today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Uh, give us a background, Jillian, as to how you came into the space of real estate and, uh, you know, sort of syndications in a big way. So it's funny. What I did was I uh, was in law school, didn't really want to be a lawyer, um, just was kind of doing what I needed to do to get through it. And I wanted to really get into real estate. So I found a real estate investment firm that allowed me to work there. And I started doing, um, I have a degree in finance. Mm -hmm. So I started doing their um, finance, their, all their financials, you know, getting the bank loans for the properties and, and then, you know, getting it together for equity investment. And that's when I discovered the big, beautiful world of um, syndication because um, it was brought to my attention that you can't just go around asking people to give you money. You actually had to provide them things like disclosures and risk factors and, and things of that nature. So um, that's actually how I got into it. I was doing it myself. And then when the downturn came the last time around, um, I stopped doing real estate development and started doing um, syndication law. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. And Jillian, you know, I meet a lot of passive investors or I'm sort of, you know, just speaking at different events and get togethers and whatnot. And it's surprising that people understand stock market very well. You know, they'll understand, okay, what a stock does, what a P ratio is and things like that. Right. But syndication is kind of just such a term where people just don't understand people will kind of relate to partnership, but when you say syndication, it just feels like a very loaded word, right? So uh, help us break us down as to, just in layman terms, what a typical syndication is and why would someone like kind of just do a syndication structure of sorts? Uh, The the reason why you'd wanna do a syndication um, is because if you have a specific property and you need a certain amount of capital on it that is not your own, um, then you really do need to have a a limited liability company that owns that property. First of all, a bank's never gonna give you financing if you own it in your own name, um, especially if it's a bigger property. Uh, So that's number one. Number two is that this is what you really have to do under the law. It's what you have to do to protect yourself and the investors. So you want to put it in a limited liability company. 
And then what you're going to provide to your investors is what's called a private placement memorandum, mm -hmm. um, which tells the story of the investment, tells the investors what's going on, tells them what to expect. So this is, this is kind of how we put it all together. Um, and then at the end of the day, uh, investors can, um, uh, you know, really understand what it is that they're getting into. Sure, sure. So how does the syndication paperwork look like? Like, for example, what sort of entity documents and safeguards we need to have in place before we can, you know, start uh, soliciting, uh, you know, like funds for your projects and things like that? Um, it has, you know, uh, it should have in it how much money you're going to raise, how much is expected from the investors, what the investors' expectations can be in terms of when their capital is going to be returned, what their returns will be, et cetera, things like that. When those distributions are going to come, where their money is going to go, how their money is going to be spent, um, what the timelines are for the project. Um, you know, if there's construction on the project, what that looks like, what the financing, uh, you know, how, how is the project, is the project going to have any secured financing on it? Um, so it's just going to give them a full story, uh, like the like I said, the investment story. Um, and mm -hmm. it's not it's not always a pretty investment story, right? Because we're right. also telling those investors what could happen to their money, like the good, the bad, the ugly of what could happen to their money. They could lose it all. You know, uh, a pandemic could come. You know, things like that. So. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's actually changed everything we've done because now we have to, in all, all of our documents, put, you know, uh, 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 reference to um, the COVID-19. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, definitely, I think as the year started, nobody knew COVID-19 and the pandemic, the, so, you know, sort of all the ripples that can cause it to the industry. And now here we are a few months into it. It's like everything is, you know, uh, upside down and, you know, uh, we are kind of just living through it, right? Uh, now, Jillian, uh, as we all know, right, that there are different types of syndications uh, that we do, right? Uh, like a 506B or a 506C and things like that, that's commonly called. Uh, help us break us down into, uh, you know, what those are and uh, sort of, you know, what's the nature of them? Uh, like, what do you, let, let's get, let's get a little more granular than sure. that. What, it, what specifically are you looking for? Meaning, you know, like, let's say a 506B uh, syndication where we say that, uh, okay, it's really, you know, like a uh, close friends or a close network of folks that you intimately Oh, I'm know. sorry. I misunderstood your question. That makes much more sense. <laughs> I thought you were talking about like very specific questions. I'm so sorry. So for, okay, so for 506B, um, you know, what we're, this is usually what's referred to as our friends and family exemption. Sure. Um, <laughs> What you're supposed to have in a 506B offering is your investors are supposed to be those people who you have a substantive pre-existing relationship with. People you know, people you've met, people you understand um, what their financial situation is. That's really what it comes down to. Sure. You're not supposed to go out and advertise for investors. Um, mm. And these investors who are your friends and family should be one of two types of people. They should either be accredited, with or, which are people who make $200,000 a year as individuals, $300,000 a year as married couple or have a million dollars of a net worth exclusive of their primary residence. Sure. Or they should be sophisticated. And sophisticated investors are those investors who understand the risks associated with investing, but maybe not the 
um, accredited. So again, we're getting people we know who already know, like, and trust us to invest in our deal. We're not using any general solicitation. We can raise as much money as we want, and those investors can be um, accredited or sophisticated. On the flip side of that, we have 506C, where investors can raise as much money as they want still, and they can do general solicitation, so they don't have to use just their friends and family and people who already know, like, and trust them, but absolute strangers if they would like. So long as those people are all, including your friends and loved ones, are accredited investors. So in other words, they're those $200,000 a year, $300,000 a year as a married couple, or a million dollar net worth. Those are the only um, uh, investors who can invest in a 506 where there's been advertising for investors. Sure, sure. Thank you for that clarification, Julian. And like so, talking about sophisticated investors, right? Sometimes, uh, you know, I feel that that is the investor class where we need a lot of education that sometimes, you know, someone can just attend a, uh, I don't know, like a weekend seminar or say, hey, you, you know, I had a previous, uh, you know, residence that I lived and, uh, you know, I sort of upgraded to a bigger house and now I'm renting my, uh, you know, former house. So hence I'm a landlord and I kind of know the real estate, but well, I mean, as we all know, the returns, the complexity that comes with, uh, you know, syndications is definitely something that we all educate all the time. And also the passive investors have to be aware about it, right? So could you maybe help us maybe understand like uh, just this passive investor class that we all, or rather I should say the sophisticated investor class, uh, Mm -hmm. what would you recommend in terms of what sort of, uh, should be the profile or the education uh, that sophisticated investors should go out and, um, uh, you know, uh, get themselves, you know, uh, educated, intimately aware of that so that they're not caught by blind side of any of this uh, and things like that. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because the reality is that investors who are um, investors who are considered sophisticated this is a really subjective test it's not objective at all Um, you have to be objective about it so in other words you have to be able to justify your position of taking an investor who claims that they're they're sophisticated Um, so somebody who's only invested in their company 401k they're not sophisticated it's Mm -hmm. you're really looking for somebody who's taking in the context of real estate who's taking real estate education classes, who's done syndications before, who's invested passively before, um, who has a self-directed IRA, perhaps that they truly self-direct, don't just invest in you know, blue chips or anything of that nature. So, so these are kind of the things we wanna be looking at when we're looking at our investors. Interesting. Now, uh, Julian, we know that there is such a big pool of money and a lot of uh, you know, passive investors are always looking for assured investments and, you know, something that will give them uh, not a guaranteed, but at least a stable cash flow and things like that. Um, As you are, as myself, we are all passive investors. Uh, Just help us understand what is your mindset to invest uh, perhaps not too much into stocks or Wall Street, but, you know, steer towards, uh, 
you know, more so the passive investments, let's say the multifamily or the self-storage class or perhaps manufacture home parks and things like that. So when, when a syndication comes around what, uh, for some of these asset classes, what, what appeals to you? Uh, when I said, you know, what we really want to look at is, is this, I, I hate to say it this way, but I really look at the confidence to a certain extent of the issuer um, and their, their know-how and knowledge of not just their asset class, but the marketplace of which they're entering, right? <laughs> so, sure. um, and, and then I also look for foolish behavior. And what <laughs> I refer to as foolish behavior is somebody who relies so much on the rate of return to investors mm -hmm. as a metric of how to sell the deal that I, I, I always shy away from that. I never, I never believe what somebody tells me unless sure. they're mm -hmm. being incredibly conservative. Um, mm -hmm. So for example, if somebody says to me, this is going to make 22% return on investment, and that's what they're relying on as a way, as a means to get their investors through the door. That's not a good story to me. Sure. A good story to me is a story that leads you down the path to actually believing that 22%, not leading with that 22%. So for example, this property is in a location that's up and coming. Amazon, I mean, this is the story of every like town that's outside sure, sure. of the major metropolitan area, right? Mm -hmm. Amazon is building a new facility here, you know, or, um, and then you have to point out other factors that make it, you know, relevant and to, that can help you draw to that conclusion. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, I could make an argument for Dallas. I'll take Dallas as, a, as an example because it's sure. a very popular market. I can make an argument for Dallas. I can also make a great argument against Dallas. I, sure. I can tell you about the two hours of nothingness that's between Dallas and Austin that can be built up. You don't have to build in Dallas proper. You just, you know, you can have suburban sprawl for miles and miles and miles. Sure, so, sure. you know, there is no vertical integration, <laughs> if you will, when it comes to Dallas. They right. don't have that same problem. But then right. I can also make a great argument for Dallas <laughs> um, just by using the metrics of Texas alone. Um, sure. so, so it's really about the, the story you tell, the plans you have. Um, I saw a deal yet the other day. Um, it looked like a fine deal. Mm -hmm. the, the syndicator was an experienced syndicator. Uh, uh, for, for all indications, they, they, it seemed like they knew what they were doing, mm -hmm. um, but, the, um, but it was a value-add property, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's a value-add property, and they're relying on not just the value-add, but the increase in rent, not just the increase in occupancy, and to be relying on an increase in, in rent and even occupancy to that extent in this time of COVID-19 mm -hmm. is a little um, foolhardy, if you ask me. And, and I'm not, you know, these are just like, again, I look at the story and then I look at the surroundings around the story. And if the surroundings in the story don't fit, then you could tell me 22% APR all day and it's not gonna make a damn sure. difference. Sure, sure, sure. And you're absolutely right, Jillian. I mean, I, I encourage a lot of our passive investors to just say, just Google. I said, just Google saying, uh, what are the highest growth cities within uh, US, right? A list will pop up like you'll have probably, right. you know, the Arizona, the Texas, the Florida, the Georgia, the Carolinas, right? 
And that tells you that, you know, hey, there is, you know, in migration happening, the companies are moving in, the jobs are coming in. And as we all know, these are kind of the basic demographic drivers for all these jobs. And as you correctly pointed out as well, right, that what is the tangible story to, you know, get to that increase and get to the returns that the sponsor is, uh, you know, like basically promising, right? Whether that's, uh, you're doing a, a lot of like the value add as we always call, uh, call it, yeah. right? Whether you're doing adding amenities, are you like maybe just upgrading to granite or doing like some kind of exterior improvements of sorts, right? So that story has to make sense. So, and, and I totally agree with you there, right? Uh, now, Jillian, moving on to the uh, syndication process itself, right? Uh, what exactly is involved in terms of, let's say, uh, we are looking at, uh, let's say, several, uh, you know, projects to take on and several deals we are evaluating on a day-to-day basis, right? So what is the right time or when should I, should I engage you much before uh, as to uh, saying, hey, Jillian, uh, we are thinking we are doing the syndications, but we don't have a deal. What does that look like? Like, when should we come to you, basically? Um, you should not come to me then. You should come to me. And then this has kind of been my problem in recent history is that people, there's a lot of tire kickers out there. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't mean to be so bold and so rude or what have you, but do sure. not call me if you're not ready because you're wasting my time. And quite frankly, you're wasting your time as well. Sure. There's plenty of um, information on our YouTube channel, on our on our Facebook pages, on our our, our website that you can get for free without harassing me or, you know, my other attorneys to ask us your simple questions. You can listen sure. to this podcast and get plenty of, of information. So Absolutely. you should be calling us at LOI when you have a deal, when you're ready to go, not at purchase and sale per se, but at LOI. So we have plenty of time to get everything done and you have plenty of time to go out and raise capital. But, you know, we would be very grateful if you would wait to call us until that time instead of when you were hey, I'm thinking I might do this someday. I don't want to hear about how you're thinking about doing this someday. I want to hear about how you're ready to go now. Absolutely, absolutely. So basically, your LOI is accepted and you know that you're going to proceed with due diligence and things like that. So Mm -hmm. in parallel, when the due diligence is happening, we are communicating with your company and getting the process started, right? Right, exactly. For preparing the documents, uh, Jillian, like what sort of time frame are we talking about? Is it one week, two week? Uh, How how does that look like? It's two two days to two weeks, Mm -hmm. just depending depends on how prepared you are. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't need a lot of time to draft, but we do need you to be prepared. And uh, a lot of times what happens is clients come to us and they really don't know what they want. And we're happy to work through that process with them, but they need to have the patience to work through that process. And not just patients with us, but patients with themselves, because they need to be familiar with in their documents um, and need to understand what it is exactly that they're offering and what they can offering and what they can do. I see. Now, earlier, Jillian, um, you shared uh, the difference between, let's say, the 506B and a 506C uh, syndication, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Document-wise, is it very different in terms of how you prepare uh, those things? Uh, uh, other than, you know, obviously, you shared that we cannot advertise and the class of investors we can accept. But are there any, like, tangible, meaningful differences as to what the paperwork has to be involved with? Are there tangible differences between 506B and C in the paperwork? Is that right, right. Mean? Meaning, uh, yeah, is the no. filing different and things like that? Mm-hmm. 
Not really. There's some differences in the document itself, but they're, 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 they're like sentences, not, you know, not entire, not the entire document itself. And the filing is the same. The process is the same. The cost is the same. Sure, sure. Now, uh, Jillian, on, on the related note, you know, uh, I'm aware of, you know, some of the reggae filings that uh, I think a lot of larger funds do. Can you help us uh, maybe clarify as to, you know, what, what that is and, uh, you, you know, sort of what class of investors that's meant for? Any investor can invest in a Regulation A offering. It's also referred to as a mini IPO. There's a process with a Regulation A offering whereby an investor has to, um, or a, excuse me, and a sponsor issuer has to get permission from the SEC in order to make those types of offerings. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they um, if they want to make those types of offerings, then what they have to do is um, they have to put together an offering circular, uh, and that offering circular gets submitted to the SEC, and it goes through a, a, a comment and a review process. And then the SEC approves them and they can go off and start raising money using general solicitation and, uh, and taking money from whomever they want. However, this is not for the faint of heart. You do have ongoing reporting requirements. And it's also, um, it's not just for, not for the faint of heart and you have ongoing reporting requirements, but it's also really, really um, something that um, uh, you, you can be very expensive. So, you know, I usually, um, we do do a lot of regulation A's, have done a lot of regulation A's, but I spend more time talking people out of doing a regulation A than I talk them into doing one. Um, It's a rare day where I talk someone into doing a regulation A. Interesting. And uh, on a related note um, there, Julian, is crowdsourcing uh, like just sub part of all of this or is crowdsourcing completely different, you know? Not, no, it's not completely different. There's three rules under which you can do some kind of crowdfunding or crowdsourcing, if you will. Sure. Um, and, and what really is, is crowds, you know, taking money from the crowd is a means to an end and you just need to find the right law to which to operate under. So there's regulation crowdfunding, which is done on a, a, a registered crowdfunding portal, which is a special type of portal that's, re- which, that's registered with a, an entity called FINRA. And, mm-hmm. and on those portals, you can raise up to a million seventy thousand dollars if the portal will accept you. Then there's 506C, which we've talked about, where you can go out and raise money through the crowd using accredited investors only. Mm-hmm. And then finally, there's Regulation A, where you can raise money from anybody up to fifty million dollars. Interesting. Uh, so thank you for your time, Jillian. Uh, please share with the listeners, uh, you know, how they can find you and learn more about your company. Sure. If you guys all go to crowdfundinglawyers.net, you can find plenty of information there. And we also have a great Facebook group called Crowdfunding Lawyers, and we'd love to have you. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I appreciate your time today. I look forward to, yeah. uh, you know, uh, <laughs> chatting more with you on details. Uh, I mean, uh, there are a lot of topics that we can definitely go uh, into a lot more details. So I appreciate your time today. <laughs> Thank you. Have a great one. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.